0: This is Laura looking for love. Today we are going to be talking about the topic of abuse. And this is our third episode. We've had two episodes that have been clean. This one will be explicit, so just a warning. So basically, this is in light of the Harvey Weinstein scandal of the abuse that's been going on for 20 years and I definitely have my opinions of it because I've as a woman and as most women have I have experienced my own experience with abuse and I think it's such a common thing and even though people a lot of times dismiss it it's something that happens to more women than not it's just a lot of people don't say it and don't speak out so I'm going to give you first a little story and these are fictional stories in the style of a make believe tale okay about two little boys so take what you want from it you know depending on how deep you guys get with your understanding of metaphysics if you can't grasp it all it's make-believe okay just think of it as make-believe but this is just a story to that I'm going to relate to later so you have two different little boys make-believe boys one named Brian and one named Billy so first I'm going to tell you the story of Brian so Brian is a, a little boy who was born and he was bright and sweet and like every human soul who was ever born into a human body, just pureness. And in order to be born in a human body, really the spirit is pure. That's It's a right. It's a right that we all have as humans to be born as humans. Only the purest souls, not the purest, but only people who have reached a certain level of purity, I guess, um, can be born that way. And once you're born into it, the spirit is is pure. So you have Brian who was born, this pure spirit, and the human experience was very hard for Brian. So even as a young child, he started to realize that he felt unworthy. He felt unworthy, unloved. There was just a lot of insecurities that Brian had. And the more and more insecurities he had, the more lack of self-respect, self-love he had for himself. He didn't value himself. He didn't feel that others valued him. And Brian, as a little kid, had these imaginary friends And one of the imaginary friends talked to him and confided in him and made Brian feel better. So he continued to have this friendship with this imaginary friend until one day Brian was feeling so distraught about his life, feeling so powerless that the imaginary friend took advantage of this and approached Brian and said, I'll make a deal with you. I will give you power so that you will never feel this bad. But in order for me to give you power, for you to feel better, I have to completely jump in your body and take over. And Brian, not having the awareness of what he was giving up, and not really caring because he was that far removed and out of touch with his own spirit and his own self-love, that he, he freely said, yeah, take my body. So this imaginary friend jumps in Brian's body and pushes Brian out. And what Brian didn't realize at the time was that he could no longer get back in because he made this deal with his imaginary friend and he gave up all his control. So the imaginary friend is happy because this imaginary friend, being a spirit without a body, he wasn't at that purity level as most humans because he didn't even deserve a body. But he found a way to get in and he got in through Brian. And so Brian the spirit stuck around a little longer until Brian the monster kicked him out even further. And eventually the spirit left. To go off and and do other things and to be reborn or to be used in some other capacity. And Brian, the monster, who is now embodying the body of Brian, the spirit, is left to do whatever he wants. And his main goal is to feel power and to step on people, to abuse people as he feels his power. So that's Brian's story. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Billy. And I'm going to go back to Brian later. So we're going to talk about Billy. So Billy has a similar story. Billy is a little boy who was bullied a lot in school. He he was still in touch with his own spirit, but he was having a hard time with his childhood. The way he looked didn't fit in with what other people thought of as a standard of beauty. He would get teased. And pretty soon, he started to feel so rejected that he'd also developed his own imaginary friends. And one of the imaginary friends also came to him with the deal, just like with Brian. But Billy, because he wasn't that devoid of self-love, that he still maintained a sense of who he was, even if it didn't feel like it sometimes, didn't allow him to take over his old body. He allowed him partial control. And he says, I can use you, but I'm not giving up my body. No way. You can come in once in a while to help me with my power, but I have control of my body. So they made this deal. And as Billy grew up, he started to realize how this imaginary friend helped him to become the student body president and to become powerful in, in moments of his life. But what Billy started to realize was that these imaginary friends, when they did give him power, it also came with some negatives. There was issues with impulse control and doing things that he knew wasn't right, but he felt like he couldn't control. So for Billy, as he got older, it was a lifelong struggle with fighting his own spirit and these imaginary friends that, and, and finding a balance. And it's a, it was a constant battle for Billy. So that's Billy's story. And so the reason I bring up these two imaginary people is that they're symbolic representations of two types of very different people in society that can do harm but operate in very different ways. So in Brian's case, Brian represents the classic sociopath. People use that word sociopath, psychopath very loosely. They're like, oh, he's a sociopath. This is that. And what people don't understand is that sociopaths are very charming and very, very smart and very psychic and intuitive. People, when they think of sociopath, they think of the weirdos that like sit in dark alleys and talk to themselves and or, you know, they think that homeless people, a lot of them are sociopaths. No, that's that's totally not the definition of a sociopath it's the wrong picture and this is the why sociopaths have the game that they do is because the picture most people have of sociopaths is completely different from who they really are so people think of sociopaths are the people who don't bathe they have no social skills they're kind of crazy they talk to themselves no a sociopath is very charming they know how to work people they know connections a lot of them have a, a network of of people who know who they are they build connections they know how to build their reputation so I want to talk about Harvey Weinstein first because he's the one that's the most recent. But Harvey Weinstein, if you look at his behavior, very similar to Bill Cosby, who's also a sociopath, sociopath, uh, very similar to O.J. Simpson, who's also a sociopath. All these people are very charismatic people, right? And the reason that why they, they're in the entertainment industry is because sociopaths are really good actors. They know how to pretend, how to be someone, because that is their life mission, is to pretend to be someone they're not. You'll find these people usually volunteering at places and just working most of the hours of the day on building a reputation because they want to build this playground where they can abuse people. And If they don't have a reputation, if they don't build it, they're not able to abuse people and play their game and feel the control that they need to feel in order to have fun. It's fun for them to do this. It's not an addiction that they want to get under control. They're not trying to change. They want to keep it going. They feel no guilt. They feel no remorse. And so for Harvey Weinstein, you know, he was able to do this for, what, 20 years. And the reason he was able to do this was because he knew how to work his connections. He knew about reputation. He knew how to hide his demons he knew how to pay people off he knew how to he just he knew how to work the system and sociopaths are really good at that so most sociopaths if it goes on for years that's what they are they're sociopaths however someone like a billy who is still connected to his spirit he's not completely devoid of love he still has the ability to love is someone like an anthony wiener And it makes me sad when people call Anthony Weiner a sociopath because he's not a sociopath. Most sociopaths are not even called sociopaths until it's too late. You know, the serial killers, yes, those are sociopaths. But usually they don't get caught until later down the road. And and those are the extreme cases. Most sociopaths don't go to the extent of being mass murderers because so much is at stake for a sociopath who, who becomes a mass murderer, right? They usually like to do things that subtly demean people. Like it's, a lot of times it's sexual abuse, rape, stalking, stuff like that. And, and it's stuff that is very hard to prove. But with Anthony Weiner, he is like a Billy in the fact that, yes... One of the things that he wants, just like the sociopaths, is power and control. It's in reaction to feeling out of control. Sometimes when we need control, it's because we feel out of control. So we need to gain control so we don't feel so lost. And I see that with him. But I also see where, you know, there isn't that same level of the need to protect his reputation like the typical sociopath. I watched his documentary, I don't know when it was, maybe a year or two ago, called Wiener. And it was fascinating. I thought the documentary was amazing because He is such a fascinating character and he literally has no walls up when these camera crews are. I mean, he's not trying to produce his image in a way that is beneficial to him. He literally shows it all, his strengths and his weaknesses equally and he lets them film everything and that is not typical behavior of a sociopath a sociopath would never let a documentary be filmed about them and if they did it would be very controlled by that person because they don't want any of their negatives or any of their weaknesses shown they only want to be viewed as a positive person with a really great reputation because without the reputation they have no game and really Anthony Weiner doesn't want his game he has an addiction he has a sexual addiction unfortunately and instead of condemning him as a sociopath and a predator what he needs is rehab because what we need is to condemn sociopaths like the the bill cosby's yeah bill cosby there's no help for bill cosby there's no way that he has no remorse at all at all harvey weinstein has no remorse at all they both should be locked up for life hojay simpson no remorse at all all of these people should be locked up for life because there is no way that out in the real world they can do any good to anybody and they'll continue to to try to abuse people their spirit's gone but someone like anthony weiner there's still hope for i see that we need to help the people we can help and lock up the people we can't so that they can do no more harm to anybody else but unfortunately the world and society has it backwards we we protect more the people who are sociopaths than we do the people who could actually use the help and that actually has something to offer so um, speaking of addiction and just to frame it as a as something that is closer to home than we think you know it's easy to say oh anthony weiner he's such a pervert he's disgusting he's this and he's that because to do that makes the person feel better that i am not this person and if I am not that person then I am good but it's it's actually a big gray area because everyone has an addiction everyone struggles with addiction of some sort is social media is an addiction now right there are so many people with sex addictions now because of the internet so I will tell just my own story of seeing how cultures have changed from when I was growing up And now, with the social media age and the millennials and and the different types of addictions that we face. So, when I was growing up, when you heard addiction, it was mainly addiction to substances, addiction to drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, maybe. There wasn't as much of a a thing with sex addiction, although probably did exist to a lesser degree because access to pornography, access to stuff like that was so much harder. When we were younger, 12 year old boys weren't on YouTube or on, um, not YouTube, but just on like, online sites watching porn if anything they would get access to a magazine or a a videotape but they have to get it somehow it was like a lot of effort now when you're like five years old you have access to porn on the internet if you have a computer and most five years like people under 10 now kids under 10 have access to internet so the cultures changed. so when I was turning 40 I had this whole when Stella got her groove back experience right where I was like oh my god I'm turning 40 oh my gosh I'm old and I had this year period where I dated guys it just happened it wasn't like I was like trying to look for them but it happened and I allowed for it because like, it made me feel younger so I dated three guys in their 20s when I was about between 39 and 40 but what it allowed me to do was it allowed me to see the difference in culture we're like totally different generations and it was sad for me the view of sex has changed whereas before sex used to be a big deal It used to be a much bigger deal now it's expected not just men but women too are just like it's not a big deal and if you don't there's judgment and if you don't do something on the first date now right especially with apps like tinder and stuff where it's like hookup apps everything is just whatever so you know i know people who are on online online dating sites i didn't meet these people on online dating sites i I just happened to meet them in the world not in dating sites but i know people who have who when they were on dating sites you know that's what it was it was like hookup sites and guys i'm going to talk about the dick pic guys would be sending dick pics like they were pictures of of their face. A dick pic had the same amount of casual energy as, hey, here's a picture of my face. Here's my dick. And one of my friends had this library of just these dicks that people sent her. And I saw some of them like, oh my god, that is so disgusting. Um, Not because I think penises are disgusting, but just the fact that they don't, it's just like, literally, they just have like, their dicks sent out to anyone who will see them and some of these one of them was the color of pepto-bismol and guys are so proud of it i mean guys have no shame when it comes to dick pics nowadays in the millennial culture they're just like yeah i have a pepto-bismol dick i love it very different I was like okay well I guess own it you know but still so I had my own experience with this when I was talking to this one guy who was like 27 maybe and we were doing this texting back and forth and he was so a fool of himself you know after a while and I was just like "Uh uh-uh I don't like this this is not my style he didn't know how to treat a woman good looking guy thinking that he's the shit and so I just I cut it off so I cut it off thinking you know I'm never gonna see this person and two days later he just sends me a picture of his penis and I was like what the fuck is this I'm not a prude or anything but you know I didn't ask for this but they do it in a way that it's like sending flowers like here oh my god here's my beautiful dick here everybody how beautiful how beautiful I'm giving you a gift it's not a gift women don't want to see that if it's not invited save it for like someone that you're in a relationship with not just anybody so I ended up cussing him out on text which felt good because it was like taking back control it felt like ah you know it's 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 a little invasive really when you don't ask for something and someone just texts you something so that was that one experience and then there was one guy that I dated who was also like around that age and it turns out he was addicted to porn and he had been watching porn since he was 11 online and There was a lot of compassion I had for that because he told me that he couldn't have normal sexual relationships with women. Like he couldn't even reach orgasm with a woman. He he only could do it with porn. And to me, that was really sad because it's just the culture he lived in. It was this addiction that he could not control. And it's so I did have compassion for him on some level. But on another level, I had an anger towards him as well because he would say things that were so misogynistic, so sexist, and so off, that it it made my compassion for him very difficult at times. So he had said once um, that he knew that girls liked to be gangbanged. Well, that, you know, at least some girls liked it. And it's because, you know, this porn culture, they objectify women. They make it seem like rape is a fantasy for most people. And I will tell you, rape is not a fantasy for women. It's not. It's not something that you know, and I mean, I'm not gonna say everybody, there might be a very small minority of people who might think, okay, that's hot in a certain fantasy situation. But in real life, if they were to experience it in real life, it wouldn't be, I guarantee you, it wouldn't be in real life. And for him to think that girls would like to be gang banged, I told him there is no way that any woman would find that pleasurable to be gang-banged by 10 men. So you need to get that out of your head because what you see in porn is not a reality. It's something that completely objectifies females for the most part. And if any woman ever says they like to be gang-banged, I know that they have been abused. In the past, that they have experienced some sort of abuse that they're trying to rectify in their mind and flip it so they have control. But no woman who is healthy and who has not been abused and does not have that need to flip it would ever enjoy a gangbang. So I just want to put that out there. So so this also segues into the glorification of rape and just or the minimalization of rape in our culture. I actually had someone tell me once, and he was actually someone who was an advisor to me, and he told me that, oh, date rape isn't real rape. It's not real rape. It's almost like if you know someone and you're on a date that you automatically give up your rights to have sex, and I think that's just ridiculous the way that we think of rape. The only quote-unquote acceptable type of rape nowadays is if you're held at knife point by a stranger on the street, which is one of the least common forms of rape. Most rape is by someone you know, so... I was watching *Gone with the Wind* the other day. I, it was literally my first time. I never wanted to watch that movie, and <laughs> now I know why. And but I've always been curious about it because it's a classic. So many people love it. I think it won Academy Awards, and people even say it's like it's like one of the best love stories. So you know, going in, I didn't really know what to expect. But it's four hours long, so also that's one of the deterrents why I did not ever really watch it. But just maybe a week or two ago, I just decided, you know what? It's on my one of my apps. was offering that. So I decided to watch it. And when I finished watching it, I was kind of pissed because I was like, one, I wasted four hours of my time. This was like the dumbest fucking movie I've ever seen. I mean, I can see why it was given so much attention by the the mere fact of just the technical aspects of it and what it covered, the story that it told. But... I found the interconnection of the characters lacking. It was such such an inhumane story of people who were operating purely out of survival. And maybe I shouldn't even be mad at the film because it was a depiction of a time frame that is so different than now. But I guess what I'm more mad at is the fact that people to this day still call it a love story. They still call it this beautiful movie. And really, it's not a beautiful movie. It's, it's a movie about survival and about total disrespect towards fellow man i mean even there's one scene well two things that were kind of disgusting to me was the betrayal of the black characters one of them wasn't mammy wasn't depicted as as terro- as that terrible actually she was actually kind of a a voice of wisdom, which was okay for me. But there was one girl, I don't even know her name, that had this the most annoying voice. They portrayed her as this disgusting, not even human version of a person. And because she was so unlikable, it gave permission for Scarlett O'Hara to literally smack her across the face. And the audience, I mean, we don't even feel bad about it because they made this character so despicable. And it made me feel sad that they would make a character this despicable and so one-sided where, you know, she's a person who's lived in slavery for so long that she's lost her sense of self. But we don't see that part. We just see the part where she's this one-sided character who is just super unlikable. And so that when Scarlett O'Hara smacks her, we're like happy she did. But it's like, it makes me sad because I'm like, but what? why create a character like that that is so inhuman? But also what really pissed me off too was the fact that there's one scene, Scarlett O'Hara and... Rhett Butler they end up getting married he wants her so bad and she finally likes like okay let's get together they have this baby and the reason why it's excusable is because, you know, they don't paint Scarlett O'Hara as the best type of person. They paint her as a very selfish person, very vain, and so she doesn't want to have sex with him anymore because she doesn't want to get pregnant. She doesn't want to have her body deformed, which to most people is a judgment on Scarlett O'Hara. But regardless of what we feel about that decision, it's still her right to choose what she does with her body. And she just doesn't want to have sex with him anymore and at one point he literally forces her he picks her up and she's kicking and screaming and he forces her and they don't show it right they don't show it but when it it cuts to the next scene in my head the first thing i thought was did he just rape her so i'm wondering what's going to happen and the next scene she's smiling in bed as if she's just had the most ecstatic last night of her life she's happy as can be and that made me mad because they just rationalized in that scene a rape not only is she raped but she also gets pregnant so she wasn't only just violated but she was also impregnated which was what she didn't want to happen and she later confronts him and there's a struggle and she ends up falling down this flight of stairs so it's like abuse after abuse but what happens at the end is that because Scarlett O'Hara is perceived as this strong woman, woman of her own mind, you know, which is very not typical of those days, there's this perception that she's unrapeable because she's too strong. Well, she's so strong, she wouldn't have done anything she didn't want to do. And then when it's over, it's almost like she was the abusive one to Rhett. And his famous line, which everyone knows, even if you haven't seen Gone with Wind, everyone knows, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And that was his final, line of the movie she wanted him back he decided he had enough of her, and his line rang more powerful than hers. She had the last line of the movie, but his last line was more memorable than her last line. Her last line was, tomorrow is another day, which is much more hopeful and much more like it would give her power, but no one ever remembers that. Everyone remembers, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, and it's like this empowering moment for this male character who's actually a rapist who raped her. He has no respect for her at all, and he's glorified in that moment. Like I could see where people are like, you know, yeah good. He's walking away or she doesn't deserve him. And people forget what he did to her that he raped her. And it's just, again, it's that inability to see that sociopathic charm. When someone does things and they're charming, they're very easily forgiven. Not to say that Rhett Butler was a sociopath. No, I'm not saying that. But he had the criteria of the charm and people liked him and he was smart and dashing. And when you have that combination, it can be very dangerous because people will forgive good looks. People will forgive charm so you can get away with more. Anyways, so that was my thoughts on things that have happened recently. So final thoughts about the dynamic of abuse. And, you know, most women have experienced abuse and it's a problem. Most women haven't spoken out about it. And I understand why. Going through the process myself, it's like what you have to deal with after the abuse is worse than what you have to deal with when it's happening. Because you get so much judgment. You get such a lack of support. And that's actually more painful than the actual abuse itself. People not believing you. People not understanding so I understand why people don't speak out a lot of times but just in my journey from where I was then and where I am now What I learned is that we can't change the person. We can't change the abuser. The abuser is going to be the abuser. He's going to do what he's going to do. And we can't even control what happens in in terms of his punishment. When I had my situation, my focus was so much about he should be punished. People should know. And it wasn't even about him. At this point, I don't even care what happens to him. He could jump off a cliff. I don't care. He could win a million dollars. I don't care. What I care about is me and making sure that my space is clear and that nothing like that ever happens to me again. And it won't because I've learned how to to set my space in a way that I'm no longer a target. So for women out there and even for men who have experienced abuse or who are vulnerable to abuse, how do we fix it? You'll see women who have been in abusive relationship after abusive relationship after abusive is a pattern. And it's not because they deserve it. They don't deserve it. No one deserves abuse. But it's because sociopaths and abusers are very psychic and they know who to target. And until you can fix the vulnerabilities that disconnect you from your spirit you're going to constantly be a target to people and just like the fictional brian that had given up his body to this imaginary friend who can detect his weakness if we can think of ourselves as that of, of how much we are in control of our own space how much how much self-love how much ownership of ourselves that we have because the more we're filled with our own love the less chance of anyone getting into our space because we're not in lack of anything so really self-love Everything starts with us, self-love. And that's why, you know, this episode is called Love in a Wiener because it was inspired by Anthony Weiner. when I first was thinking about this dynamic of talking about abuse and the different layers of it. Is that Anthony Weiner? there's still some love that he has inside of him that he needs to nurture, that he needs to allow to grow so that these behaviors and these dysfunctions can eventually stop. Because once you're filled with that, you don't need the need for distraction and addictions. The pe- the reason why people turn to alcohol, turn to drugs in the first place is because they're not fulfilled in their own People who are happy, people who are self-fulfilled, people who have self-love, they don't need to turn to substances to fill them up because they're already full. Same as people who are able to deflect abusers. There's no way that an abuser can get into somebody's space, who has complete self-love for themselves because there's no access, there's no portal. One of the things I realized when I was watching Harvey Weinstein and all the news reports that were coming out was Jennifer Lawrence speaks out. And she's really good. Jennifer Lawrence is really good to speak out her truths often. And she does it without fear, without filter and she said that you know i think it's disgusting these actions that he's shown she called him out but she also said that he never did that to her so the fact that he never did that to her why would he choose some people over the others because she would really be a perfect target she came into the industry very young he knew her when she was young still a teenager and why does he target some and not others and it has nothing to do with looks it's all about power it's all about who he can dominate so why and the reason is harvey weinstein just like other sociopaths are super psychic and they know how to identify a weakness and if the person has no mortal and has no weakness they're not going to target you and jennifer lawrence didn't have that weakness because he knew that if he did anything to jennifer lawrence oh hell no that it wouldn't be quiet anymore she would have spoken out she had no reservations about saying anything about anybody and there was no way he would get away with it so he didn't target her but he targeted other people and those people even the big stars i mean and when he targeted them they were newbies in the industry you know so there was still some vulnerability there so any vulnerability is what sociopaths like to latch onto so big picture is we can't control what other people do the other people that want to cause harm to others but we can control our space so that we don't have the portals or the access for them to get to us so be full of yourself not in an ego way but in a spirit way full of your spirit full of self-love and I want to leave you with one last story it's from the TV series This Is Us, and it was a scene that really moved me. Randall, for those of you who don't know, is a black man who was adopted by a white family, and he's an adult now, has his own family, recently reconnected with his biological father, we invited to stay at his house because he is dying of cancer. And this is a flashback of when he was there from the previous season. And it was the first night that his biological father was there and he wanted to leave. So he was at the door. It was late at night, everyone was asleep, and you see the little granddaughter who's about five or six walk down the stairs and he says, Do you have the alarm code? I wanna leave and she says, yeah, it's my birthday, but why do you want to leave? And he said, well, I just need to get home. I don't feel comfortable here, and, and I'm afraid that if I stay, I'll disappoint you. And she said, one time, I went to a slumber party, and I got so scared that my mommy and daddy had to come pick me up and take me home. But the next day, I was really sad because I could have had fun. So maybe if you stay, you could have fun, but maybe if you leave, you'll be sad. So next week, I will be at the slumber party. hope you will be there too. Any suggestions for topics, as always, you can email me episodes every Friday. If you found this information helpful, please share it with people who might benefit from the content. And you can also go to thebonesidebabes.com for info and empowerment services. See you next Friday.